Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. sisters, Abs here, and today, due to a family emergency, Mags is not with me, so I am flying solo. Well, sort of. Not really. I'm actually not alone in the studio because today I have a very special guest, and I have been so excited about introducing her to you guys for literally since I met her. So I, I just want to tell you the story of how I met Rebecca because it, it was a life-changing time for me. I met Rebecca Scritchfield at a workshop she conducted, a body kindness workshop in Vermont, early in the summer, maybe. Was it May? I think May, June? June. June. It was June. I had read her book, Body Kindness, which completely blew my mind. <laughs> it's a whole new way of thinking about your body and, about, and a whole new way of thinking about caring for yourself that really was something I had never encountered before in all of my reading. So, you know, most of you know that I've been battling an eating disorder as well as an anxiety disorder for most of my adult life. And what was amazing about body kindness is that it addressed not only my eating disorder, and it did do that, but it also addressed my anxiety disorder. And that was such a, such a mm. pleasant surprise. So I decided, all right, I have to meet this woman because I love her work and I have to track her down. And so she, she was having a workshop up at a, a wonderful place called Green Mountain at Fox Run, www.fitwoman.com. Go there, go there. <laughs> it is a magical healing place for women. And I can't say enough good things about it. But anyway, so Rebecca hosted her workshop there, uh, and it was a weekend workshop, so I came up a few days early, uh, you know, for a little hiking, a little Vermont air, and I was sitting at breakfast, and this very perky, bouncy, smiley woman in a neon pink running outfit, (laughs) with her hair in a ponytail, trots over and says, can I sit here? And I said, sure, because Green Mountain is like that. And, you know, we started chatting, and we hit it off immediately. And within a maybe 15 minutes of chatting, I casually said to her, what do you do? And she said, oh, I'm a nutritionist, a dietitian, and a wellness coach. And I said, um, wait a minute, are you Rebecca Scritchfield? And she said, yeah. And I went, oh my God, you're the reason I'm here. <laughs> and it was magical because she was sitting next to me and I didn't have to wait till the workshop to meet her. And I was so excited. And in all fairness, I, her picture, her author picture on the back of her book is very glamorous. <laughs> she was like a little sweaty from a run. So it's, I think it's perfectly reasonable that I didn't recognize you from, from that point. But um, I, I want to take a, just a second to tell you that everybody who knows me knows that I am a workshop girl. I go to workshops for mm-hmm. everything I've been doing it my whole life. I love workshops. I've been to Janine Roth's workshop. I've been to Kripalu for yoga workshops. I've been to writing workshops. If, if there's a workshop, I will go. Rebecca's Body Kindness Workshop was a different type of workshop and really cathartic 
energizing and life-changing for me. And I haven't had a chance to tell Rebecca this feedback because we've both been so incredibly busy <laughs> since June. Somebody I know has been traveling a bit. <laughs> so, um, so I want to take this opportunity to tell her and you about that workshop. It was an intimate, I think there were maybe 10 of us, mm -hmm. and we were ages 18 to 70-something, right? Mm -hmm. And it was, the word was enchanting because, and, and I'm a presenter, workshop presenter, so I was watching Rebecca both as someone who needed her help and also as a workshop presenter myself. And I was admiring a quality in Rebecca that you're going to find out today, <laughs> and that is that she cares so deeply about people. She was so careful to meet with each and every one of us. She did not take a break. When we were on break, she was talking to somebody from the workshop. She wanted to make sure everybody got the experience of a lifetime. And I was overwhelmed with her generosity, both as a participant and as a fellow presenter. I just was so impressed. She is the real deal. Rebecca tells it like it is. She will talk about poop. <laughs> she talks about her own challenges. My favorite Rebecca-ism is, that shit ain't right. <laughs> There's our, there's our swear word. We the got it out of the way. Yes, the very first anxiety sister's curse word on the air. So, you know, she will laugh at herself. She will help you laugh at yourself. But most importantly, she will help you find some peace. I can't even tell you how valuable that's been to me, our friendship mm -hmm. and your teachings for me, the body of kindness practice that I now do mm -hmm. on a daily basis because of your work. So thank you for that. Okay, so let me tell you about Rebecca professionally <laughs> so you can know how qualified she is for everything on this earth. <laughs> She's a registered dietitian and nutritionist. She's a certified health and fitness specialist and a well-being coach with a private practice in the Washington, D.C. area. She is also a really highly regarded public speaker and has a fantastic podcast you must subscribe to. It's called Body Kindness. Go do that now. Pause and go do that. It's a really great podcast. Last year, her wonderful book, Body Kindness, came into the world and took it by storm. And I think I am now single-handedly setting up for another printing for you because of the number <laughs> of books that I buy for every human being I know, every woman in my life. And I'm for very grateful. <laughs> all of our anxiety sisters. It's required reading, folks. You know that. I've been saying it. She's been on CNN, The Today Show, NBC Nightly News. She's written for every famous publication you can think of, like Oprah Magazine mm -hmm. and The Washington Post and Fit Pregnancy and Shape and Health. But most importantly, Rebecca is a wife and a mom to two adorable Spitfire daughters who keep her on her toes constantly. And I think they're her inspiration for her work. Is that true? I oh, think, I think yes. they are. Yep. The book is dedicated to them, so Absolutely. they've earned at least that. <laughs> and they're youngins, so she, so Rebecca is hoping to impact our culture in such a way that her daughters will experience more kindness from the culture than we've experienced. Right. Or so, at least more resilience. Yes, we all need In an unkind culture. This is true. What to do about it. And by the way, Rebecca is also an occasional anxiety sister. She dabbles <laughs> in it. So she knows what we're all about. And her clients are also, she has a lot of anxiety sister mm -hmm. clients. So she's mm -hmm. really in tune with this world. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. And I just, uh, I'm, we are both spiraling up right now, I, I think, know. which we'll get to. <laughs> but I'm just so, you know, a lot of times, 
I'm going back to the version of me that was studying nutrition as a career change or that version of me that was up at 3 a.m. trying to write something that didn't suck on paper. And it's like you wonder, what is this going to be? Will this make a difference? And you put stuff out into the world not knowing if it's going to make a difference or to who. And so to have had that experience to have you at my workshop. And I remember that moment of like, wait, I'm here for you. And I was like, oh, somebody's here for me. Like I was, I was also excited. And so just to feel that energy and that goodness, and even to the point now where I'm so grateful to be a guest on your podcast, it just, it feels so amazing. And that's exactly what, it's all I could ever hope for is to make an impact and and, and change someone's life. So I'm glad that I've had that opportunity and I can't wait to have our conversation. I hope that I know you're making a difference in helping folks and I just hope I can play one small part in helping uh, you, you help others. You are definitely <laughs> making a difference. You're, you've certainly made a difference for me. Your work has. I mean, mm. I came there to meet you because of your work. <laughs> It's different, your work. Mm -hmm. Body kindness is different from what we're used to hearing about. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you could explain to our, our audience about how you kind of came to body kindness mm -hmm. from your, you were a science guy. Yeah. Which I love about her. <laughs> She's a science geek like me. <laughs> so I got to body kindness through making a number of serious mistakes. <laughs> and so sometimes I think the best things that you end up contributing to the world are actually born out of difficulty, struggle, trauma, and mistakes. In fact, in the acknowledgments, I included my mistakes as one of the last thank yous. I basically said this book wouldn't be possible if it weren't for making lots and lots of mistakes. Very um, comforting to me. <laughs> <laughs> We're already chilling out. We're already less anxious. Podcast over. No, I guess really it wasn't like oh, I have this great idea. Let's call it body kindness. It wasn't like that at all. It was um, actually the original book idea that I sold was called Happy Hours. <laughs> and so it's so funny to even think that the name wouldn't even, you know, the book that you held that made a difference might not have even come if I wouldn't have had my second wave of mistakes. You know, at that point in my career, I, I knew that there was enough evidence and the way that I was helping people, it wasn't about weight or shape or, or appearance. But as we all know, we, in our culture, we are given labels. So to me, the label of what a good first time author would be, would be a book that gets a lot of sales, you know, and that's not made up. That's actually true. But when I, when I went into the proposal, it was, what do I think could sell? And interestingly, I think deep down was a fear because what you already have isn't good enough. You have to come up with something that could sound familiar. Anxiety sisters, it's, it's sounding familiar to me. <laughs> yeah, I guess despite me, you know, it, so I did the body. The term body kindness wasn't even on my radar, but this idea of self care, this idea that if you do what makes you happy that it will help you feel better and those good feelings will lead to better self-care. So I had been studying and reading the science of positive psychology and, and I had been using that in my behavior change practice and my practice was focused on mindfulness, um, but the words body kindness were not there. So I had sold uh, the book idea when I had a six month old and they're like, okay, hurry up and write. So I have a 
two-year-old and a six-month-old. No matter what I did, I was screwing it up. If, if the exercise I could do was putting both in a stroller and walking in circles around the block, you know, scientifically, I was increasing blood flow. I was working my muscles and I was doing all these things that are beneficial, but I had such a strong inner critic that it was like, oh, and here's another thing you're screwing up as a mom again. Like, you know, you're not exercising the right way. You're not pushing yourself hard enough. Uh, the food you're eating could have been better. And it, I just had a, a re-emergence of this very strong and powerful inner critic. And that voice was very familiar because it's a voice that controlled my life probably from the age of nine. Um, I was nine when I tried my first diet. And what was really twisted about when I was growing up is that I was often congratulated for, I'm using air quotes you can't see, but for my quote, healthy behaviors. So what was said to me was, oh, look at you um, not eating dessert. Good for you. And like, you know, look at you and your figure. Genetically, I come from a line of women who are medium to large frame. So even when I was under eating, I didn't look like a sick person. But in my mind, it was very sick that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go out and enjoy Burger King with my friends or something. Or if I did, I needed to make up for that for a bunch of stuff. So that kind of followed me. And even when I was a dietitian, I thought the best way I could help people was strap armbands on them, monitor every calorie, and that this was motivation. This is what you're paying me for. Isn't that what the culture is about? Yeah, right? it I is. Know you talk about it in your podcasts mm -hmm. with your friend from The Biggest Loser. Mm -hmm. You talk about that a lot, how... Yeah. It's a punishing mentality. Absolutely. I mean, we have a societal expectation that says you aren't good enough unless you're trying to lose weight. That this is what you need to do to conform is exercise as a punishment or you earn the right to eat birthday cake or go for ice cream with a family member or good friend. Like you earn that right through what you've burned off. And it's, it's a very, it's very twisted and it's presented to us as health. And so I was actually truly part of the problem because I thought that's what was healthy. And, you know, like I would say, oh yeah, we're going to figure out how to make pizza fit and this fit. But it was through calorie counting and giving something else up in order to earn. And my still heart diet was culture. In, exactly. It was yeah. still diet culture. My heart was in the right place. It was still diet culture. And there were a number of things that eventually led to me saying, what do we say? This shit ain't right. This shit ain't right. <laughs> this shit ain't right, people. <laughs> so, Took me till I was 40 to say that. <laughs> you got there early. I got there a little earlier. But one was um, when I noticed that clients, they felt so much shame around doing normal, flexible things like going out for pizza. And they felt shame telling me the truth. And I had a, another client say, yeah, I'm not actually telling you the whole truth because when I do... It's not even you, but I fear the judgment coming on that I'd rather just avoid the judgment altogether. I would have been that client. Yeah. I wouldn't have told you about what I ate. I would have been afraid to. Yeah. I carried so much shame. Yeah. I mean, that's part of my eating disorder, mm -hmm. you know, because I think we, as far as cultural messages go, mm -hmm. it's deprivation. Mm hmm yeah. And you're being a good girl if you deprive yourself of things that give you joy. Mm -hmm. And how sick is that? It's totally sick because what ends up happening is there becomes nothing left. Like everything's a giving up. Everything's an exchange. Even around food, it's like, why is it all such a nutrient transaction? Like food is so much more than just what's in it. And absolutely someone who's listening who could be struggling with emotional eating, it's like, 
One, emotional eating is part of normal eating, but there could be an attachment to emotional eating that's not serving you. And so it's actually working on the behaviors around food that likely revolve around depriving yourself in other ways. So if we can find pleasure through food and through other ways, mm-hmm. which is also presented in the book. <laughs> and in some really good podcasts. <laughs> My favorites. Yes. <laughs> I just had a client before we were talking about the idea that she can be an ice cream girl. Just, I'm a girl who likes ice cream. And not, it has to be certain I conditions. I love that. Yeah. I'm that girl too. <laughs> I'm an ice cream girl. Yes. I'm an ice cream girl. I'm a cheeseburger girl. It, I'm a you fry know, it, girl. It, it, you know, well, I'll tell you something interesting. We get a lot of feedback from our anxiety sisters. But the, the blog we got the most feedback from ever in history, in uh-huh. the eight months we're around, mm-hmm. was when we talked about eating our anxiety. Mm. So I know that you know, talking about body kindness and Mm -hmm. about deprivation, about diet culture and about all these things. Mm -hmm. I know it resonates with our people Mm -hmm. because I have this theory that anxiety and eating disorders kind of go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I think if you're an anxious person, it it does come out in your eating, in your eating habits. There's a correlation, you know, so it's not that one causes the other. It's not that one is a sentence in the other, but people who tend to deal with anxiety are people who tend to also deal with eating disorders and food can become a way either through restriction or overeating that could help it's um, what we would say like a maladaptive behavior because it's not providing a benefit. But if you want to ask someone a real interesting question and kind of make their jaw drop, ask them, tell me how binge eating is helping you. And it's just like, they don't even know how to answer because no one has ever thought that doing a maladaptive behavior could serve a beneficial purpose. And I've had clients who have seen a benefit, like I've need to help them unravel it. But one I could think of is a client who had dealt with trauma in life. She had uh, a family member um, who died by suicide and she had ideations herself. So she was, she was dealing with depression and anxiety and binge eating disorder. And when we first met early on, I, you know, I asked her, so what are the benefits of binge eating? And she couldn't think of it. And as we talked more about it, we could find gratitude, not, oh great, I'm so glad I got binge eating disorder, (laughs) yay! It's not that, but gratitude that there was a point that it served a beneficial purpose. Yeah. It kept her alive. Well, there's exquisite reasons for the things yeah. we do, right? Yeah. I mean, our body is very self-protective. Mm-hmm. And I know there's, I mean, a lot of great reasons that I've mm-hmm. overeaten yeah. in my adult life. I, I could list them for you. There's a <laughs> huge list. <laughs> Only now yeah. that I practice body kindness, mm-hmm. I'm not criticizing it. Mm-hmm. I, I Sometimes I even congratulate myself and mm-hmm. say, wow, you got through a really tough time. Mm-hmm. Maybe you gained 10 pounds, mm-hmm. but you got through a really tough time. Look mm-hmm. at you. Exactly. Look how resilient you were. So that's me using body Body kindness, which I never, before your workshop, mm-hmm. I never would have had that vocabulary yeah. when you were teaching us about the inner caregiver, Yeah, which I think is something that our anxiety sisters need to hear about. Yeah. It's really important stuff. Yeah. You know, there's definitely a culture directive that there's a certain way of looking that means you fit in and you're desirable. And if you don't match that very narrow ideal that there's something wrong with you, so you better be putting all your resources into trying to get there. And by the way, all those resources, Mm -hmm. that is part of what causes the anxiety. Oh. When you're putting every moment of the day's thought into Mm -hmm. what you're eating or not eating, Mm -hmm. 
or how you look, what you wear. It's every, crippling. It's, it's crippling. Absolutely. I mean, you lose your mental energy to act for creativity, for making choices that that you really do need your attention. And that becomes this vicious cycle. Absolutely. This idea of this inner critic, um, nobody is immune around from the age of one. One. <laughs> really? That early? Oh, yeah. That early. We absorb negative messages from our environment. So that is our school environment, our caregiving environment, our family, kids in the playground. Like if these negative messages go unchecked, they become our voice. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it feels like you. And they could be family messages too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the criticism, the judgment, the not good enoughness. So in the book, I talk about Ms. Perfectionist. Um, I talk about the tantrum toddler. You know, that's not fair. I want more ice cream now. You know, there's a rebel. Oh, let's be bad and get this food, right? Like, you know, that sort of rebellious in the other way. But the big one, the big inner critic is, is usually the perfectionism. There's so much shame wrapped up in perfectionism. And it's this idea that nothing is ever good enough. And so you relentlessly pursue all these ways that you could or should be better. And it's exhausting and it's expectations nobody can live up to. And it actually gets in the way of you creating a better life because you can't make your self-care body kind of choices. You're too wrapped up in all these other things that you should be. And so the inner critic has all the power. And so body kindness is about taking that power back. And there's a universal question, does this create a better life? And so we want to help guide people in the direction of a better life. And it's personal. It's setting goals aligned with your personal values. And it's, and it's goals that you have a sense of control over. So you can't, you can't ever say, I have a goal of fitting in this size pants because you can't control that ultimately, but you control your choices, right? Right, right. And so you talk about what actions do I want to take? I want to get to bed on time because I've learned that in order to have my hunger and fullness hormones work, I need my sleep, you know? And so I make better, more balanced self-care choices when I get my sleep. So that would be a caregiver choice, even though you have all this work to do. And yeah. you're saying, you got to do it. You got to do it. Respecting the boundary of needing sleep too. Yeah. I think a lot of anxiety sisters experience the inner critic. I know mm -hmm. for me, there's been a message in my head since I can remember that is don't do it if you're not going to do it right. Ooh. And right meant? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine, you know, all the fear mm -hmm. that develops mm -hmm. about trying new things because yeah. what do we do when we try new things? We make mistakes. We screw up. Mm -hmm. That's life. I mean, we were just playing with the microphone, right? Mm -hmm. you know, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and you had the answer. But that's because I had screwed up before and I knew about it. <laughs> but, but what happened was I developed this anxiety around trying things yeah. because I thought, oh, I'm going to screw it up yeah. and then I'll be a screw up. Mm -hmm. And, and, and mm -hmm. that created a lot of anxiety for me mm -hmm. that really stayed with me to this day. And I've re I really work on getting rid of that inner critic mm -hmm. and pulling up my caregiver. Mm -hmm. And I always ask myself, does this lead to a better life? Is mm -hmm. this, is this going to be spiraling up mm -hmm. to use your word? Yes. <laughs> Can you talk about those words? Yeah, really sure. Like yeah. So I love, I love, um, 
the, the visual of spiraling up because we can all relate to the downward spiral. If you just, as you're listening, just draw, it kind of looks like a tornado, what you would imagine a tornado <laughs> would look like. Uh, you could draw that on a piece of paper, right? And so you can see as you move down a spiral, you're more closed off to the world. You're more isolated. You're narrow. Things are closing in. It's basically probably a place of high anxiety, mm. right? So Yes, I think anxiety sisters are very <laughs> familiar with the downward spiral. Right. And that sort of like, it's a, it's a trap, right? It's and it not, could start first thing in the morning with your very first thought. It right? could. Oh my God, I'm not good enough. Exactly. Boom. It could. Exactly. Yeah. Thinking of that, you know, metaphor, the up part of the spiral is more open, okay, right? It is more connected to other people, more connected to our planet. It's more engaged. And so we all experience all types of emotions and even negative emotions are good because they're helping us see what bothers us and what matters. So if you're dealing with anxiety and you're latching on to the negative emotions and then like opening up for shame, right? Which then feeds the anxiety. The problem lies in how you're responding to the negative emotion as opposed to the negative emotion itself. So, with so it's this, okay to have those negative emotions, absolutely. right? That's human. Well, well, yeah. it's normal. Like right. negative emotions tell you something you care about is at stake. Something matters and I really care about this. But as someone, as an anxiety sister, what you would do is pause and think about, you know, okay, is this my critic kind of pushing a downward spiral here? Get connected what what is really happening. I tell a story in the book about I went into full-on panic mode. Something flashed before me and I I saw like a, a visualization of me in a plane crash and my kids were on it and oh we God. were crashing and just this big overwhelm, it flooded, flooded over me. And I had to stop and be like, wait a minute. You're just watching your daughter eat pancakes. <laughs> like you're not even on an airplane yet. A trip was coming up. I had just let my thoughts go into all this you negative. Yeah, I catastrophize. Yeah. Let it go all there. We and never do that. No. <laughs> we anxiety sisters don't know what you're talking about. But when I stopped to think about, okay, wait a minute, where are you at? You know, you know like you're spiraling down when I saw, and I said, what's really happening? I was very busy. I was stressed about an upcoming trip. I, I was doing the best I could to get my ducks in a row, but I wasn't really in a good place. And so I just, as a way of coping, went there, went to irrational and that was your places. body's way of telling, your mind's way of telling you, pay attention. Yes. Hello, Rebecca. Yes, pay that's attention. exactly right. So that right. negative emotion showed me something I care about is, it, is at stake. I need to get ready for this trip and this and that. And I need to be a little bit more compassionate with myself. You know, I might not get those workouts in. We might be ordering takeout a couple days and that's okay because I can't be perfect. I need to feel better. I need to be spiraling up more. So the, the idea of spiraling up is not about controlling your emotion. It's about noticing it. If you notice a downward spiral, then you could pause and you can make the next body kindness choice that matters, which may be... I need to lay down and breathe for like a minute, or it could be, I need to take a break and sip on some tea for a little bit. Or it could just be, I need some self-compassion and say, hey, you're doing the best you can and that's good enough right now. So, you know, there's or all kinds I of things. I need to eat something. My True. blood sugar is low and I yes. need to eat something, right? <laughs> exactly. Any, the, the, 
the idea behind the spiraling, mm-hmm. spiraling up is that you're going to make the next choice you make is going to be kind to yourself and it's exactly. going to be nurturing you on some level. Right. And I think, you know, what we try to do on our Facebook page mm-hmm. is we try to put stuff like that, you know, our anxiety goats and all our anxiety <laughs> animals and all the cuteness that we put on our page. That's a spiral up for somebody who might be spiraling down mm-hmm. and is on the computer mm-hmm. and can see a really adorable goat yep. who also suffers from anxiety. <laughs> True, true story. Check it out, Polly. They love Polly. Polly the anxiety. It is, yes, go on our website. You'll get to meet Polly. It's deliberate. It's mm-hmm. a spiral up. It's mm-hmm. a, okay. So the very next thing I'm doing for myself mm-hmm. is I'm going to allow myself to feel that mm-hmm. that warm feeling of appreciation of something adorable. Mm-hmm. Some type of connection to yourself, to the that to Polly the goat, to the planet. Exactly. And don't expect the anxiety to go away, right? right. That would be Miss Perfectionist again. She said, look at the goat and I feel better and I don't feel better. I feel worse. I'm freaking yeah. out. Exactly. No, no, no. It's not that the anxiety goes away. I'm feeling very bad. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I had to. I had that's to. That's awesome. So as I was saying, um, it's not that the anxiety goes away, but it's this idea that you can regulate a little bit better. So I'm feeling the feels while I look at this goat that's making me feel a little bit better. And now I'm at a place where I can make a more rational choice, right? Because say you were going to go to kind of check out and eat emotionally. You know, no amount of potato chips is going to solve your real problem. True that. But if you need nourishment anyway and chips sound good, now you're in a part where you can mindfully enjoy some chips right? Maybe crunch down on a little bit, taste that salt and really engage in the mindful eating part of it. And in a way, kind of soothe a little bit. Sure. But very different from checking out and saying, oh, screw it, whatever. It's not numbness. No. It's being very aware. Right. It's being very aware, which I mean, awareness gives you control, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And ultimately- To take action. Exactly. Awareness helps lead to action. And again, it's making a value-centered choice is something like you can finish the sentence. I want to be the kind of person who makes a difference in the world. There you go. And so then you might, you know, describe, you might describe something specific. What's a specific action I could take that would, you know, give me evidence? I can write that blog that's due tomorrow <laughs> that I haven't written yet. Sorry, man. <laughs> there you go. So that that is a value center choice. So yeah. when you look at what would be getting in the way. I know you're having dinner with your son and you need to eat. And plus he's going to be uh, editing Hanging out, <laughs> editing the podcast. Editing the podcast. So yeah. we want him well fed too. <laughs> so we're not missing dinner, right. but what are you going to work on? But I know that I'll that be up late tonight most. working. And so I have learned that I need protein, mm-hmm. that pro- I need something protein based. It doesn't really matter what. Right. Um, and I count ice cream as a protein, but there because there's milk in it, but <laughs> yeah. I no. but I, I, I do. I, I I really have used body kindness uh-huh. in making food choices, but I'm not depriving myself. Yeah. I am the ultimate restrictor. That's yeah. my eating disorder. Yeah. I'm a depriver. I used to count every calorie. Yeesh. I knew every gram of fat in every little mm-hmm. thing. And car- and then the carb thing, when mm-hmm. that became the rage, mm-hmm. of course, right? Yeah. That was perfect for me. Yeah. And but now you're anti-diet. No, now I... You're that, not into paleo or Whole30 or keto. That shit or- <laughs> ain't right. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, Bingo. when I came home from your workshop, uh-huh. one of the things we did uh-huh. was we, we crushed the scale. We literally, oh, right? Oh, yeah. We literally that was took, so fun. That was amazing. One of the best moments of my do life. You, did you share that video yet? I haven't. I'm going to have to share that yeah. video because I think people would like to see us do oh, that. yeah. But anyway, so Rebecca gave us a sledgehammer and a scale, <laughs> a really nice scale, actually, and we beat the crap out of it. 
Uh, and it was really very freeing. And then we were talking later about other spiral ups that we could do mm-hmm. about sort of getting out of the diet culture. Mm-hmm. And one thing you suggested to me was that I go through my extensive library <laughs> of diet books and, and, and see if they might be worthy of donating to some, I don't know, some fat farm out there that's <laughs> still practicing the whole deprivation the thing. The or they way. make great fire kindling. Right, exactly. <laughs> I got rid of 34 books. Wow. Wow. Yes. Oh, heartbreaking. Yeah. No, it and was, exhilarating. It was exhilarating. It was like yeah. breaking the scale mm-hmm. because I realized that, hey, I don't have to restrict mm-hmm. and I don't have to deprive. And mm-hmm. I think for me, mm-hmm. my anxiety arises from being out of control. Mm-hmm. So ironically, when I would binge or when I would emotionally eat out of control, Mm -hmm. that would just exacerbate my anxiety. Mm -hmm. Even though I was trying to soothe so much, Mm -hmm. it would exacerbate my anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think that what's nice about body kindness is it gives you some real concrete tools Mm -hmm. to go the other direction. Yeah. Without feeling like you're being judged or without feeling shame. Yeah. Well, you, you you need some type of roadmap. Like body kindness answers... Okay, this is what I can do if I'm not dieting. Uh, and what's interesting is, yes, it's a book, and yes, you read it and everything. But I also say, no one can tell you what body kindness is or isn't. Not even me. So you actually do have the job of defining what body kindness is for you. That's correct. I think it's the second chapter where we have to mm-hmm. write our own body kindness manifesto. Yes. <laughs> and I'm a very obedient student. So before the workshop, I wrote out my own body kindness manifesto and, I, and now I have it framed in my office. It's oh. wonderful. It's really great. You know, we're all about affirmations mm-hmm. and mantras. Mm-hmm. We talk to ourselves out loud and yeah. the anxiety sisterhood, uh, part of TLC. Yes. Talk to yourself out loud. Mm, I love it. And I got to tell you the body kindness manifesto mm-hmm. that fits into that yeah. beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even I'll share something personally that's going on with me right now is like watching, watching it shift to be what you need when you need it. You know, I enjoy regular exercise, right? It's part of my therapy, call it what you will. You know, it's some me time. I can enjoy jogging. I can enjoy walking. I can enjoy a little bit of both. I can enjoy going into yoga. It's, it is, it's part of my identity. I have nothing to do with changing my appearance and everything to do of how I feel, the energy I want to have in the future, the energy I want to have for that day. It helps me sleep. There's so many benefits of exercise outside of anything appearance related. But over the last month between I was dealing really bad with allergies and my energy wasn't what it needed to be. There was travel going on. Two of my kids got sick at two different times. There was work stuff. So it was just like typical juggle struggle for me, but amplified. And I was feeling emotions at higher intensity than I'm used to. So long story short, I haven't worked out in almost a month, right? So as somebody who is regularly active, you know, week one, there's that self-compassion that this is going on. Week two, there's a self-compassion, something else is going on. And so I'm not not a stranger to self-compassion. I look for the holes in my schedule for when I'm going to turn a corner again. So most recently, I realized that the last three days... There were opportunities to exercise and I packed my clothes and I chose not to do it anyway. And it wasn't because I didn't want to sweat or this and that. It just was, I honestly think part of I've, I've been away from it and there was something else that was easy to go and choose instead. I was with my in-laws and kids were around and just, it just wasn't a good time. So what's interesting to me about going through this with body kindness is on the one hand, 
I believe that exercise is part of who I am and it does help me. And I, in that value center goals, I wanna be the kind of person who takes care of her body and exercises regularly. It's part of what I do. But I had a month where I needed to not make it a priority because I did need to sleep and I did need to be with family when I could because of travel and I did need to do the other things. And then as I'm coming around, I'm like, yeah, but we also miss it. So now it's another set of self-compassion. I'm not beating myself up because I didn't do it. I don't regret any past choices, but I'm remembering that movement is a part of what I value. Movement is in my manifesto. So now it's body kindness to say, you know what? We're getting ready to go on a trip. We're gonna pack our workout clothes and we might be saying no to a social happy hour because we need to have an appointment with ourselves with movement. But it's not motivated by shame or criticism. Yes. It's yes. motivated by spiraling up. Yes. Right? It's, it will make you feel better and happier. Yes. And it'll answer your question that you always ask, right? right? Will this lead to a better life? life? Right. And But notice the shifts in there, right? Because in one moment, body kindness was taking a break because I needed the time. I needed to hear that anxiety sisters taking a break is <laughs> kindness. It's absolutely. A good thing to do. Yes, absolutely. And there wasn't perfectionism in that. There was more of a flow, right? But you know, people worry, oh, but if I let go of this, some big fear story they're making up, right? Right. So use this as an example of there will be a time where what's what's worth your effort is body kindness around sleep and maybe more a little bit more around meals. But you can't do it all at once, so maybe you're not focusing on exercise. Maybe you're short change in sleep for a little bit and you're dealing with some insomnia and you do your best you can with your sleep hygiene, knowing that that's not going the way you want, but are you proud of something else you've been able to do? So instead of thinking in perfectionism and all or nothing, there's more of a flow that in this moment, this is body kindness and this is enough, compassion, self-acceptance. And then a week later, that might shift for you. And letting yourself shift with it is fine. And I am once again grateful that I'm feeling this, I miss exercise and I kinda, I know I kind of should be out there, right? But I'm feeling grateful because I do wanna reconnect with movement. And that is motivation to look at my calendar, to pack my gear, and to, with compassion, remind myself, you like this, it matters. Yeah. So and you're not yelling at yourself for not doing it. Right. You're just reminding yourself that you miss it. Yes. That's nice. Yes. That's really nice. Yes. And someone else who is not an exerciser, it might, your words might be like, this is something you're curious about. You know, this is something that you have a friend who is into exercise who says it helps her manage her anxiety. This is something you're curious about. So let's make time for this. Yeah. You know, because trying something new creates anxiety, you know, especially forget it, going into a group class, forget it. Right. right. You know, yeah. so how do you tolerate these levels of anxiety knowing that it also matters that you try new things and that would be body kindness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just want to recap so uh -huh. that our listeners understand spiraling up. So mm -hmm. it, it's not necessarily that you're feeling bad, so you have to immediately go out and exercise or make something that you perceive as a healthy choice. That's right. not the same thing as spiraling up. Spiraling up is making a decision 
to be kind to yourself Mm -hmm. and compassionate with yourself Mm -hmm. and not to feel shame Mm -hmm. and not to feel all those negative emotions that a lot, a lot are put on us by our culture. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, so that's what body, and that's how it really, to me, how it, it really helps with me managing my anxiety because I know that if I'm having a panic attack, you know, yeah. I am not going exercising and I'm certainly not going to make a healthy choice in food. I don't, you know, yeah. I'm hoping to live to the next minute. That's pretty yeah. much, that, that's the <laughs> Aren't goal. we all? That's we all... the goal. The goal is be breathing in 60 <laughs> seconds. So, so I have found, and, and this is why Mags and I share all of our techniques with our, with our mm-hmm. audience is that, you know, I find that if I can think of one thing that I enjoy doing, even if I just think of it, mm-hmm. it does interrupt it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind mm-hmm. and it's not shameful and it, and it gives me back some control. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm panicking right now. I'm not gonna be able to stop the panic, but wow, do I really love walking on a beautiful autumn day with mm. the leaves. I really love that. And the way a fireplace smells, I love that. And you can start to distract yourself by mm-hmm. thinking of all the things you like. That's to me, the first step in a spiral up. That's mm-hmm. something that I practice regularly because of what I learned from you. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm out there with the fire and I've added hot cocoa in my hand. <laughs> oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. In a cozy little blanket and the fall leaves. Anything and all chocolate. Kind of... <laughs> I'm, I'm totally there. We got a really interesting question from mm-hmm. somebody in the Anxiety Sisterhood and I was wondering if you'd be willing to answer it sure. for her. Mm-hmm. She Actually, there were several people that asked similar questions, okay. but one person in particular said that when she is experiencing acute anxiety, mm-hmm. which for her can last you know, several days at a time, mm-hmm. she can't eat at all. Mm-hmm. And her question is, because she read your book, we sent her your ah. book, and her question was, so what do you do when you know, you're feeling hungry, but you're so anxious you can't eat. Yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you practice body kindness then around food yeah. in that situation? And sure. I would start with empathy. It can, you know, with yourself, that's what self-compassion is, right? So to have that full permission to be exactly where you are. Like when I hear that question, I'm connecting to her and how awful that must be to feel hunger or to know you need nourishment, but at the same time, feel that you can't stomach anything and it feels like a trap. And so I have empathy right away about, Oh gosh, no, that, that, that must be painful. That must be difficult. And so for yourself, having permission to be exactly where you're at. So self-compassion first, and it's, you talk to yourself the way you would talk to a friend and say, Oh, this is a really tough place to be in. And yeah, it makes sense that I don't like it because I know my body needs nourishment and you know, it feels, it feels like too much, difficulty to push myself to eat, but now I'm worried about the side effects of not getting to eat also feel like a trap, right? So you just tell yourself with compassion, it's okay to be right here. That I think starts to reduce anxiety. The next thing that I would say is go to what you know works. Instead of working yourself up about you're not eating right now in the moment, do you have your anxiety self-care plan? Does it work if you do restorative yoga? Does it work if you do lavender oil, right? And just the inhalation of lavender oil will help bring some calm. It doesn't mean that that this difficulty eating is gonna go away right away, but if you can early on just knowing that you're feeling anxious instead of worrying about what you're not doing around food, 
try to see if you can regulate the anxiety a little bit better at all. Because a lot of what happens without is... Without focusing on the food. Without focusing right. on the food. It's kind of like... Put, put the food in the parking lot right now because it, it's not a good time to eat, in all honesty. What, what we're working on is trying to engage more of our parasympathetic nervous system, which will help us digest. You know, so it's called rest and digest, right? You eat a meal and then you rest and digest. And so if you're all wound up, your hormones and your signals are turned off. And so even if you know you must need food, it's hard to feel that sort of normal hunger. And so it can feel wrong to stop and eat. So I would say, you know, if you're in your first day, and I'm assume you don't have an eating disorder, right? Because if you're in present with an eating disorder, the more pressing thing may be to do to actually find the best way you can to eat because of who's talking, the eating disorder or me. Right. So if you're clear of an eating disorder and you're feeling strong anxieties, you work on processing the anxiety while you let your body sit without food for a short time. It's not very comfortable, but trying to force yourself to eat would be more uncomfortable. So you're saying let go of the shoulds a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's okay to take a little bit of a pause from food. What I would say is the number one thing that's likely to come up from like a medical nutrition standpoint first is actually hydration. So there are ways that you can get energy and hydrate. So it could be something as simple as um, a tart cherry juice, right? And tart cherry juice is really strong in anti-inflammatories. It's a natural source of melatonin. And it has a really nice taste, taste. on the tongue that will distract you from yes. anxiety. Yes. If you take little sips of it, it yes. it's tart, it, it makes you pucker a little yeah, bit. So it, it will. I mean, we talk a lot about grounding mm -hmm. as an anxiety management mm -hmm. technique. And one of the things is to get your senses engaged. So you're, you're engaging your senses and you're getting in the tart cherry juice these benefits, including naturally occurring sugar that is going to help maintain your blood sugar. It's going to give you energy, but your body has to do very, very little work to digest something like juice. It doesn't have the fiber in it. So that sort of bold over feeling like I don't want to put the effort in eating the right. salad right now, you don't have to. You could go to hydrating foods that also give you some amount of nourishment. Right. If that goes okay and you don't feel up for the meal at lunchtime, I would try to do a smoothie, right? Because again, you need hydration and don't overthink. It's not the perfect smoothie. It, it could literally be banana, peanut butter, and some milk or some yogurt. And blend that up. That would take maybe a minute to make. But then again, you don't have to chew. <laughs> right. You know, right. you don't have and to chew. And the sensation of coldness mm -hmm. on the tongue mm -hmm. is, is actually very nice yeah. when you're anxious. Yeah. Everything cold is good yeah. when you're anxious. Yeah. So there so you go. So that's a really nice idea. Right. I also love that you brought up the lavender oil because mm. we talk about it's okay if you can't eat. Mm -hmm. So then engage other senses. Yes. Absolutely. And don't allow yourself to panic about the not eating. Right. Because that's only going to exacerbate it's the gonna situation. It's going to exacerbate it. And, you know, your your body will be okay even if you just get some of that liquid energy in and we don't need to judge it. Hopefully, you'll get to a point to where you feel like you could do something. And again, rather than worry about, oh, but I need to make up for all this, it might just be what you feel like you can handle as a comforting bowl of chicken noodle soup. Good. I'm see? getting hungry now. I know. <laughs> as you make your way through the anxiety, you'll feel your typical appetite come back. Yeah. I know for me, when I'm done with my anxiety, mm -hmm. then I'm ravenous for sweets. Mm -hmm. And I used to really punish myself for mm -hmm. that. I used to 
just mm-hmm. kick myself in the head. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you mm-hmm. just did that. And now mm-hmm. I say, hey, I got through my anxiety. Mm-hmm. I deserve a little treat. Yeah. Where well, are those M&Ms? <laughs> well, and it's a very life-giving thing because you've burned a lot of energy in dealing with the anxiety. So biologically, your body is asking for replenishment. It makes sense because especially when you have periods of under eating, you actually crave quick energy, which is carbohydrates, which are your sweets. So it makes sense. Your body's trying to get more serotonin. Yeah. So let your body do it. And you get the emotional benefits when you're no longer dieting. You have permission to eat M&Ms. You're like, oh, goody, I get to enjoy my M&Ms. And then there's no guilt at the end of it, which totally has ruined the experience in the past. Mm -hmm. Now you have the M&Ms and you enjoy it. And what's really weird is that I don't eat as many M&Ms as I used mm-hmm. to because I, because I can do it whenever I want. Right. Mm-hmm. So the anxiety around food for me has really abated. Oh, that's I, awesome. I, I want to thank you so oh. much for joining me today. <laughs> I want to just end by saying that you talk about five things you can do to spread body kindness to, to the world. I love that, mm-hmm. how you end your book. Mm-hmm. Number five is build a strong tribe. Mm-hmm. And... I know that Maggie and I have benefited so much from building our anxiety tribe Mm -hmm. and you have a body kindness insiders tribe. I'm Mm -hmm. in it. It's really cool. (laughs) Check it out. Go to her website. And I just think that human connection Mm -hmm. is the most healing thing Mm -hmm. for anxiety, really for anything. Yeah. The human connection. I feel that body kindness teaches you to be connected to yourself, Mm -hmm. but also to be connected with others around you, which is so important. Anxiety can be so isolating. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Brene Brown says connection is why we're here. Yeah. And it's a basic... Another person you should read, Brene Brown. (laughs) Wonderful. It's a basic human need. It really goes back to love. Love is a supreme emotion. There's all different ways of love. Like, you know, we might be in love with our partner but when we make eye contact with our letter carrier, we're sharing a connection too. It's it's on the a different end version of love, hopefully. But it's still it doesn't have to be. <laughs> There's afternoon delight. That will be another podcast. Another podcast. Yes. Um, anyway, spice where up your are we life. going? <laughs> you know, we don't get to a better life being isolated and saying we don't we don't deserve friendships and connection and that we, you know, we can't reach out a hand for ask for help. We want to offer help. That means that we need to ask for it when we need it too. Like that door goes both ways. And yeah, you know, it, it's interesting that you brought that up because when I was going over with my editor, like sort of, okay, you know, we're going to do body kindness, which is a title we both came up together with, but separately. And I said, okay, so I'm going to have this part called where you belong. She just didn't get it. You know, like she's like, I trust you, okay. And then when she saw the manuscript, it was like, okay, now I get it, it makes sense. So it's really interesting to me that even in that category of self-help books, we don't often think about others. It's me, 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 me. Exactly. And what we need is a bond with others. We need each other. Yeah, to feel whole, right? Absolutely, absolutely. If you'd like more information about Rebecca's work, you can check out our website under Things and People We Love. It's under more resources. She was October's Anxiety Sister Spotlight in our newsletter. (laughs) So if you're a subscriber, you automatically got an email with links to Rebecca's website, her podcast, and all the places to purchase her book, which is everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. We're also going to post links on our Facebook page today when we promote this podcast. Thank you so, so much. You are truly a gift in my life. And I appreciate you sharing that with 
all of our listeners. And we have surprises coming up in the new year, don't we? Yes, we do. Okay. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. (laughs) On our next podcast, Mags and I will be talking about pre-adult anxiety, which is around ages 16 or 17 to about 22, 23. We spent the last year researching the pre-adult brain and interviewing almost 100 teens and young women in their early 20s. What we learned is incredible and will change the way you perceive the behaviors and attitudes of the pre-adults in your life. Please know that we love to hear from our listeners. So if you have any questions or comments or just want to say hello, you can reach us at anxietysisters.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, Anxiety Sisters don't go it alone. You have been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved.